Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. This is your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. everyone, this is Christine Blake, the host of Inside the Media Minds, and I'm super excited today to be joined by Lindsay McKenzie, reporter at State Scoop and Ed Scoop. Welcome, Lindsay. Happy to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yay. I'm so excited to learn more about you and what brought you into this role. So let's start there. Can you give us a quick overview of your background and how you got into the industry? Sure. Um, it's been a long and winding road, so I'll try and keep it short. <laughs> um, I studied biochemistry at university, thinking that maybe I'd be a scientist or go into medicine. And then I realized that I loved reading about science more than I liked doing it. Um, so I did a couple of random science adjacent jobs before uh, I found a science journalism master's at City University in London, which is where I studied. Um, and once I completed that, I got into reporting on research and science policy, which is a pretty niche area, but it got mm -hmm. me talking to a lot of professors. So I started covering higher education and then I started covering tech and tech is my focus now. Uh, yeah, so that's how I ended up wow. here. Okay, and so I know you went to school, like lived in London. What brought you to America? I really wanted to move to New York and okay. apply to lots of jobs there. I was actually born in the U.S., but just never lived here. Um, so I moved to D.C. in 2016 to do um, an internship at the Chronicle of Higher Education. And I just never left. It wasn't really part of the plan to stay here, but that's where I am. Okay, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, it sounds like your your mixture of interest in tech and journalism really brought you to write for um, State Scoop and Ed Scoop. So tell us a little bit about your role at those publications and how you contribute. Sure. So I'm a reporter. I split my time sort of 50-50 between the two publications. So uh, State Scoop covering state and local government IT and Ed Scoop covering higher education IT. Um, the beat is broad. <laughs> I can pretty mm -hmm. much cover anything sort of technology related, but there are some, some common themes between the two publications and, and things that I'm interested in. And those are digital equity, uh, excuse me, data privacy and security. Mm -hmm and web accessibility. And um, I'm also really interested in following policy developments and kind of trying to understand the impact of policy decisions on, on real people. Okay, that's interesting. And yeah, I know you described the audience for each publication, which can be somewhat niche and, and specific. How do you write for that type of an audience? Yeah, uh, our audience is primarily or at least I think of them as IT decision leaders. So people who make technology decisions, whether that's the CIO at a, a college or university, or maybe the CISO at you know, a state or local government office. Um, and when I write with them in mind, I'm aware that they are the subject expert. So I'm not trying to tell them how something works. 
um, I'm trying to present to them something maybe that's thought provoking or at least interesting or useful. Um, so maybe, you know, a case study of someone that's doing something really interesting that not a lot of other people are doing. Maybe an example of, you know, a best practice that could be helpful mm -hmm. um, or just covering something that's really new and developing and people are still figuring out. Um, and I also try and think about, you know, who would they want to hear from if they sure. were trying to understand something, you know, who would they, if they had the means, pick up the phone and want to talk to you. And then I pick up the phone and I do that for them. I love that perspective. I was going to ask you about, um, like how you gather your resources and what types of people you talk to. And I think that's a really cool perspective. It's like thinking about the audience and who they would want to hear from. Yeah, I think. I'm still fairly new, but there are definitely a community of people that the publication has built a relationship with over time. And I'm trying to tap into that and also identify people that, you know, we haven't heard from previously much, but we should be listening to, right? People who are really interesting, yeah. um, you know, leading the way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, I know we've talked to a lot of different people. We're big fans of the Scoop News Group. Um, how does that group of publications, how do you think it differs from like other publication groups? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think, I think it's the focus on IT leadership that distinguishes it for me. I've covered technology at broader publications and publications that are specifically covering higher education. So I worked at Inside Higher Ed and I mentioned um, the Chronicle of Higher Education and the audience there is mostly professors, maybe administrators, you know, people who work in universities but are not necessarily engaged in making tech decisions every day. Um, but here I'm really thinking about those tech leaders and the people who have to make big tech decisions and, um, yeah, that focus is a, is a little bit um, more distinctive. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so as you're, you know, doing your reporting and learning about this subject matter, um, another question I had is what are some of the biggest tech issues facing states and higher ed institutions that you're most interested in? Mm. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about very recently is um, the shift to remote work mm. and um, obviously everyone shifted during the pandemic but we're now kind of in a moment where people are making decisions around whether to go back to in-person or you know completely stay remote or do something in between mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of kind of tension right now especially um, with IT staff at higher education institutions um, because some people need to be on campus to deal with, you know, in-person IT support questions, or maybe, you know, they're like an AV person and they just right. have to be there. Um, but some staff don't need to be there to, to do their jobs and um, keeping everyone happy on a team when, you know, the, the work environment is changing or could change is um, something that I've been hearing a lot about. So that's one of the issues I've been writing around mm -hmm. recently. Um, yeah, and just kind of making sense right now of what are the practices or the tools that we started using in the pandemic um, that we want to keep, or what are the tools that we 
maybe don't need to be using anymore. That evaluation right now, I think is really interesting. Okay, yeah, that, that actually is super interesting. And, you know, you think about IT modernization when it comes to the government and also higher education as well. It's like mm -hmm. forced at that point in 2020 to go remote to find solutions to these problems that kind of were on the back burner a little bit. So it's interesting now to see that evolution of this hybrid model currently. I think everyone's finally had a chance to step back and, and mm -hmm. think about it now. You know, everything was kind of thrust upon everyone. Yeah. Um, you know, there were decisions that were made because there was really no other choice. And now we're in a moment where, you know, we have vaccines and people can go back to work and do things the way they did before. And that pause, that moment is allowing people to evaluate, you know, actually, you know, should we do this this way? Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, you know, talking about looking ahead and forward looking, what do you think will be some of the biggest stories um, in the new year, some of the biggest headlines that we may see coming up in higher ed or state government? Well, I don't know, jinx <laughs> myself. <laughs> I do think there will be a lot of stories next year in tech, um, just following, you know, the, the Twitter craziness and Gosh, right? uh, things like that. I mean, there's a lot happening. Um, I think some themes that we're going to be really closely following in the SLED sphere are um, cybersecurity and evolving reporting requirements. That's going to be a big issue for everyone covering IT. Um, and that's something that people have been thinking about for some time. But I think awareness has really spread to everyone at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Like even very small offices have to think about it now. It's just part of something you have to do. Um, digital equity is gonna be a major theme, I think, mm. um, because with every cool technology and development, there's the potential for that gap to widen between the people who have access and the people who don't. Um, mm. So I think that's something over time that's just only going to increase unless we take kind of steps to avoid that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm also really interested in, in what will happen with web accessibility standards. Um, I really enjoy writing stories about, I guess in higher education specifically, mm -hmm. how students with disabilities access course materials and you know the LMS and all of the tools that they have to use online. Um, and yeah. Historically, <laughs> I would say higher education institutions and higher ed vendors have not been super successful in meeting their needs always. And there's some big changes coming to web accessibility that we don't really know what they're gonna look like yet, but huh. I, think, I think it's gonna become a pretty big focus next year. Yeah, and that sounds really interesting. I, I think all of those are certainly things that have been talked about a little bit, but then, you know, over the next year or so, we'll hope maybe become more um, predominant in the news cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and then just kind of a more a personal thing, like what has been one of your favorite stories to write so far in your career? It's not a tech story, actually, but probably one of my favorite pieces uh, was when I was uh, interning at the Chronicle of Higher Education back in 2017. Mm -hmm. And Donald Trump had just become the uh, president of the United States. And I wrote a piece about how literature professors were working his inauguration speech 
into courses on dystopian literature. Wow. Um, yeah, so it was a really fun mix of current events and politics and then kind of, uh, you know, arcane areas of academia. Um, and it was a really fun story to do because I, I spoke to some professors who are just wildly entertaining and um, I think often professors can be scared to work politics and you know current events into their courses but I, I found some professors who were absolutely not shying away from that and <laughs> drawing very interesting parallels between Trump's words and, and 1984 and all Gosh, this, um, yeah you know, um, apocalyptic literature, which I thought was really, really interesting. It was an interesting convergence of different topics. That sounds really interesting, actually. That sounds um, almost like a like a paper you'd write in in college, like analyze yeah. those uh, that comparison. That's interesting. Yeah, it was fun. Cool. Yeah, and then um, I guess how you know a lot of our audience consists of PR professionals. Um, uh, communications professionals at different organizations who are always interested in hearing how reporters are um, preferred to be pitched. So I guess, how would you prefer to be pitched? Any kind of anecdotes or best practices or tips that you can share on that topic? Sure. Yeah, I get this question a lot and I I really sympathize with everyone who's going <laughs> to do this because I think it's so hard. I would say most of the time, I'm probably not going to write a story based on a pitch. Um, but I do really appreciate seeing press releases and, and hearing people's ideas because it, it definitely is something I pay attention to. Mm. And, um, you know, over time, if I get a series of really good pitches from someone, I start to, you know, build a relationship with them and, and you know, I start to respect, you know, the things they send me are relevant to me. And, you know, it, over time, it sort of builds up. I would say that relationship piece of it is really important. And yeah. Please don't be afraid to like reach out and just say, hey, this is who I am. This is who I work with and this is their expertise. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of intro is really helpful because often when I'm writing something on a topic I've never covered before, maybe I'll just, you know, in my email, type in some search words and see who's pitched me on that topic mm, and smart. then reach out to them that way, or just reach out to people who I know work with people with expertise in that area and ask for their help. Yeah. Um, so I would say focus on building the relationship and not um, trying to get someone to write this thing that you've already written. Yeah, exactly. And I know that um, you all have a podcast as well. Um, there's the same kind of how did how do you all determine like who's going to be on the podcast any best practices for a guest coming on to the podcast yeah I think it's a mix of um interesting people that we want to hear from um people who've won prizes is a big thing oh, interesting. Um, or you know industry recognition whether that's you know our own awards or you know industry awards um I know my editor, Colin, has been interviewing a lot of people who've been recognized by NASIO recently. Oh. Um, and yeah, I mean, I have been contributing a little bit to the mm. Edscape podcast, which is called Cutting Edge. And I'm hoping to do more of that. Um, yeah, and it's just talking to interesting people. I mean, just trying to find something topical, something we haven't necessarily covered before. And someone who speaks well is always helpful. Um, 
you know, you don't have to be an amazing public speaker or someone who can speak for 20 minutes uninterrupted to go on a podcast. Yeah. Um, but I think it helps if they are someone who's thoughtful as they speak. Um, and not everyone has that skill. You know, it's not, it's not easy, actually. It's, it's difficult. But yeah, people who are interesting and, and can tell a story is something we're always looking for. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So we do have a couple listener questions for you as well, Lindsay. Um, so the first one is about an article that you recently published um, about higher ed institutions being hesitant to report on cyber attacks or breaches out of fear of being fined or penalized. Um, have you seen any other factors that play into the hesitancy of reporting these incidents? And can you talk a little bit about what you saw during um, your reporting for that piece? Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting, <laughs> a really interesting problem that was raised. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the same for every institution, but something that I have heard is that there is some confusion around at what point you are supposed to report a suspected breach. And I put the emphasis on suspected there because I think they want you to report as soon as you think something has happened. And I think for institutions, it's really hard to do that and to pick the point at which you're supposed to know with some degree of confidence that something bad has happened, right? Um, okay. So, you know, do you, in the first instance that you think something has happened, go and report? Probably not because you're, you know, you're busy putting out that fire and then you're trying to figure out the scale of the problem, how big it is, and maybe you have to call the FBI and maybe you have mm -hmm. to let people know um, and it all has to happen very quickly. Um, so I think juggling the priorities and, and not quite knowing what level of confidence you should have that something has really happened that is significant is hmm. something that um, trips people up a little bit. I think I think they want they want reports as soon as possible, right? Because they mm -hmm. can help you manage it. Um, but I understand the hesitancy to not maybe do that right away, to want okay. to get a handle on what's happening before you tell other people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a tricky one. I, I, I really don't envy people in that position because there's so much you have to do all at once. And if you haven't rehearsed that sequence of events, I imagine it's really tricky. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It's a lot um, to disclose and you want to get all the facts and everything together before you disclose anything. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then another question here for listener questions. What is the most interesting hot take or opinion you've heard about the industry or technology lately from a spokesperson? This is a great question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, I, I love to gossip and uh, hear people's hot takes. Um, <laughs> I've heard many recently that I thought were really out there, but um, at the Educals conference recently, um, I went to a session where some higher ed IT leaders were talking about topics they thought were overhyped or covered too much. Hmm. And um, one of the topics um, that came up that they thought was overhyped was AI and um, concerns around AI. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And huh. I guess yeah. in the media, or, you know, I, I am part of the media, so I also <laughs> contribute to this. Um, we do have a lot of concern about where AI 
could go or how it could be used in a way that is not helpful to society or you know may disadvantage certain people um but a lot of those concerns to some extent are still theoretical or sort of you know future concerns um and i I, I get where they're coming from, but you know, mm-hmm. I, I still have concerns about AI, but maybe maybe I'm not communicating well enough that not all of the concerns have come to fruition or will come to fruition. You know, it's I think it's something we should rightly be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe there is a little bit of hysteria around some of the, the problems that can emerge. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, just surface level, you do see a lot of headlines with AI in the title, right? You see, you hear a lot of things about AI, AI this, AI that. So it, it is interesting how much it is covered um, these days. And I think it's gonna continue to be covered, but it's a matter of what's being conveyed in those stories, right? Yeah, and I've heard too that um, a lot of vendors will say a product is AI and it's not really, you know, it's, it's become something of a marketing term. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something we hear a lot and I think it's not, always what it is you know what it says yeah. it is. very true um and then what is something in the, that you're interested in outside of work or um any shows you're watching or anything of interest or hobbies that you'd like to share sorry that was my dog shaking in the background um oh. yeah my my dog dave uh who is currently digging in the couch um oh takes a long time <laughs> He's what a, kind of dog He's a rescue pit bull. Oh, hey, Dave. So gen- genuinely digging in the couch right now. Wow. Um, yeah. So we love him. Um, love taking him on walks, going to the park. He takes up a lot of my time. Um, but recently, I've been trying to resurrect a lot of hobbies that I had in school. So I really loved um, drawing and painting. And I'm trying to pick that up again and make time for that. Um, I used to be in lots of choirs, so I, I'm hoping wow. to choir and sing again. I was in a choir which got dissolved <laughs> during the pandemic. Oh no! And just never, never got back together, which is kind of sad. Um, hmm. In terms of TV shows, one really random thing I've been watching is um, the German version of Queer Eye. Oh, uh, interesting. <laughs> really entertaining um so I I studied abroad oh gosh 10 years ago um in Germany and I'm trying to pick my German back up and I watch really random reality tv shows in German I love, it. Um, I love that and it's in, so it's in German I did not know there was a German queer eye that's fantastic there is it's completely their own version it's not just you know the U.S. one that's been dubbed um but it is very similar and um yeah it's 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 funny and uh it's been very entertaining to watch that that sounds like very entertaining I need to check that out for sure <laughs> Great. Well, Lindsay, it's been so great getting to know you. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about anything that State Scoop or Ed Scoop has coming up here in the near future? Um, well, I mean, as we're closing the year out, or at least coming to the end of the year, um, I'm definitely reflecting on big trends that we've seen. And you know, we'll be thinking a little bit about how we cover things going forward. Um, I'm still fairly new, so I'm, I'm just trying to develop um, a beat and you know 
come into my own a little bit and data privacy is something I really want to focus on moving forward. So I'm trying to build more connections um, with people who are thinking about that, whether it's for students or, you know, residents of a city. Um, That's something I'm really trying to to zoom in on. So I'll be working on that next year. But yeah, I mean, news changes every day. (laughs) Yeah, sure does. One of the great things about reporting when you wake up, you just don't know what's going to happen. So I'll be on my toes. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Lindsay. It's been great getting to know you more. really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you. And thanks for everyone who tuned into this episode of Inside the Media Minds. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Media Minds. To learn more about our podcast and hear all of our episodes, please visit us at w2com.com slash podcast and follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show. And you can subscribe anywhere podcasts are found.